0: Many of us are familiar with the Bino, with Dennis the Menace and Nasher first appearing on magazine shelves in 1936. With the decline of print, they needed to digitally transform and reposition themselves. Today, we discuss how the Bino has expanded its business proposition, deepened its understanding of its Gen Alpha audience, and even sold more print magazines. I'm thrilled to be joined by Hayley Granston and Martin Ashplant, who've helped that happen. Um, so to begin with, we do some quick fire questions. So city or countryside? City. Cats or dogs? Definitely cats. Winter or summer? Summer. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Visual or verbal? Verbal. Train or plane? Train. Read or listen? Read. Novel or business book?
1: Business book.
0: Um, so Haley, your current role is commercial MD. Um, can you explain a little bit about what that role is and what your day-to-day is like?
2: Okay, so I
0: joined Bina Studios about two years ago,
2: um, but then it was really to look at how do you commercialise this 81 year old business because it had been purely comic based and now we've moved into digital transformation. So we were looking at my role was really to devise the strategy for what was it that brands would want to work with around kids? And obviously there's huge rules and regs about what you can and can't do with kids. And we very much follow those rules. So there were some restrictions that I had to follow. So my day to day could be, um, talking to brands, going out and un- uncovering what their needs are, trying to convince them that they need to start thinking about generation alpha now, rather than in 10 years time when they've actually got money to spend. Um, And just working with my team to make sure we're giving the best possible service, not just to kids, but to brands as well.
0: And when you say Generation Alpha, in your mind, what's the kind of demographic of that? So Gen Alpha, we define them as being born in the year of
2: the iPad. So that's 2010. (laughs) I feel like the iPad should be so much older than that. It's also the year Instagram was launched. But um, So the oldest of the cohorts, 10 this year. So it sounds like they wouldn't be really instrumental in making decisions, But in the old days, I think pester power was seen as a negative. And nowadays, actually, it's kids are the massive influence in every family. So they're the ones that are telling mum, you know, where we want to go on holiday, what we should be buying. And I just think it's about
0: brands buying into that. And Martin, you've worked in the newspaper industry previously um, and you joined the Beano in 2017. You're currently chief digital officer and... I'd be really interested to hear from you in the kind of what you've seen in the digital landscape and particularly within publishing and newspaper world that's been kind of transformed and what your kind of role has been within that.
1: Yeah, so as you say, I've been to been at the Beano for just over two years now. And I think what really struck me when I came here um, with my background in, in news media was just how much of a, a vacuum there was for producing a, a digital proposition for kids so we're we broadly um, aim towards 7 to 13 year old kids and there wasn't really an awful lot out there so we had to work really hard to understand what it was that kids wanted what resonated with them so we will talk about insight a lot in this conversation I imagine but that was the first first starting point was how do we really get to the bottom of what it is that that matters to kids and how can we build a, a digital proposition which we've done with, with bino.com that really resonates so I think even in the last two years, things have changed a lot around digital media, um, but which is why it's so important for us that we are constantly reasking and reassessing what it is that matters to kids, so that we can we can keep up with the things that, that they're interested in.
0: And when did the Beano first kind of realise it needed to change? I think the change came
2: about three and a half years ago when Bino Studios was launched. And the thinking behind it was very simple. We were seeing a decline in print circulations across the market. You know, we've heard about Marie Claire closing last year. Um, And Bino was no different from that. Everything we do is from a position of insight. So insight informs all that we do on Bino. And we know that kids were not necessarily looking at print anymore. We knew where they were. So taking that we actually worked out what kids were doing and that helped um, move us onto to a digital first um, basis. But as a result of doing that, what's really interesting is that the comic has actually increased its circulation. So the more we've done digitally, the more it's actually made kids want to read the comic too, which is brilliant.
0: In terms of the actual process that you guys went on, is was obviously lengthy um, and very kind of successful. Um, but... Could you kind of explain to me a little bit you mentioned about starting with insights? So how did that look?
1: So I think from the point where Bino decided that it really wanted to do something from a digital perspective and really revitalize this this amazing entertainment brand that has been in the lives of kids for so long. From that point it was about well how do we how do we go about doing that? How do we how do we understand what a digital Bino looks like? So there was a lot of upfront thinking around that, a lot of proposition development in terms of testing various various ideas with kids. It was always getting kids in to come and have a look at our first iterations of what beeno.com would look like and going through that process. But, but to be honest with you, a lot of it has been about all the learning we've done from that point on. So the first version of bino.com that we put out was I guess you describe it as a a smorgasbord of lots of different stuff going on and the thinking at that time was that that's that's what kids would really relate to but the more we've we've, we've tested those sort of concepts and the more we've got kids to feed back on that the more we've realised that actually we need to change our initial proposition to be much more much clearer for them and much more in line with the things that really matter to them and that's why it's so important to have that that feedback loop all the way through because we could have just produced what we thought was the right thing, left it out there and never quite understood why it wasn't doing what we wanted it to do. But because we were able to to sort of evolve through that process from 2016, 2017 when we first started thinking about it. We're now in a place where you know we we've got a much better proposition for kids now and we hope that continues to evolve because we're constantly learning. You've
0: got a really interesting approach when you were talking about understanding the the what the kids think and and getting their feedback and would you be able to talk a little bit about that about how you kind of gather their insights and 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 kind of build that um on the platform so
2: there's two ways if i talk about um our longitudinal ethnographic study. And I'll let Martin talk about the products on the site. Um, But essentially what we have is a panel of kids that we speak to every single week. So we went across the country to recruit kids within our target audience. So around about the 7 to 12, 7 to 13 age group. We met with their parents. We've been to their homes. We understand their their objectives, um, why they wanted to get involved and what's going on in their own ecosystems, what's happening in their worlds. Um, And we talk to them over FaceTime every single week. We ask them a number of set questions, which are usually around media. So what have they been watching? Who have they been listening to? And then we ask them things about what have they heard about in the news this week, and we can also ask them about specific subjects that we have an interest in. So, you know, when Greta Thunberg um, hit the headlines, we were able to ask the kids directly about that. And that helps enable us to create content on the platform that we know kids are interested in. So an example of that is Fortnite. So over two years ago, the kids started telling us about this incredible game called Fortnite, didn't mean anything to us. But we started creating content about it. And by the time Fortnite hit kind of that national zeitgeist, which was probably joined the World Cup last year when all the players were doing dances when they scored goals. Um, little old Beano um, was actually ranking on the first page of Google for Fortnite searches, which is an incredible result for a site that is so much smaller than something like Mail Online.
1: And I think as Haley said, the what we call the trend spotters, they lean into all the content that we're producing. So our content team have, have one-on-ones every week to try and understand what it is that, that kids are, are interested in that week, what they're talking about, what's cool, what's not. And another real, really good example uh, that struck me was um, a YouTuber called Ali a. Now, I'd never heard of Ali a when I first joined Abino and I think outside of the demographic that w- we talk to, probably no one has heard of Ali a, But in that world, he was a phenomenon in the sense that he was uh, you know seen as the main person when it came to um, streaming online games and so we were producing a lot of content around around um, this particular youtuber and then over a period of time the kids' view on him changed quite abruptly and they were talk they were telling us that you know he all he does is clickbait now it's all about clickbait and that was a really interesting thing to come back from them because had we not been having that conversation, we would have still assumed that he was hot in the way that we we describe it. But that has that had cooled, so we were able to sort of change our content approach based on that. And as well as actually going out there and, and talking to these kids, we also do um, what we call user testing sessions. So we we have a, an amazing guy who does um, user research with kids over FaceTime because. What we found is when they're in their own in their own rooms, in their own bedroom, in their own living room, that's they're much more comfortable to tell you what they really think. Whereas if you actually brought them into the Bino offices, what we've seen is they often tell you what they think you want them to say as opposed to what they actually think about things. And that has been it's revolutionized the way we've approached building digital products because you really see very clearly why Something isn't quite working, or why it really is working, and you're able to sort of change your approach to it based on that. And then the other part to our insight gathering is is through Beano.com itself. So we've now got a million kids coming to the site each month, and that's across the UK, the US, and, and other English language um, countries. And what we've been able to do is is use bino.com to to ask kids what they think about things. So we've um, we we've, we we talk a lot about trying to make the world think more kids. And we're using Bino.com as a as a way to allow that to happen. So, if we think if we want to know which of these these YouTubers are interesting at the moment, or if we want to know what do you think about Britain's Got Talent or the mass Singer or whatever it might be, or what do you what, what do you think about more more important things like recycling, sustainability, then we ask them. We ask them on the site. We do it all in a no personal data, so it's very much they're able to tell us what they think, and we're able to use that to help help us but also help other organisations who might want to, to know a bit more about what kids about think about the sort of things that are interesting to them. So combining all of that, so the talking to kids, getting them to do some user research for us, the deep research we've done for things like Generation Alpha and then using Beano.com to get that really quick um, feedback on what, what, what's, what's going on in their world allows us to get a real 360 degree view of what matters to them.
2: One of my favourite things we produce is uh, it's called the Map of Hotness. So the Map of Hotness is a visual representation of everything we know from the kids about who are they talking about, who are you know it's the playground analytics, I guess. So it's fascinating for us and for brands to see where they're going. So always on there, you're always going to get Lego, David Walliams, Christmas, Anton Deck, um, but then the hot ones come and go. And you're, the moment TikTok is obviously, you know, really, really hot. Um, love Island comes and goes, even though if the kids themselves aren't probably watching it, but their older brothers and sisters are, so that they know about it and they talk about it. But Starbucks currently is really hot because the kids love being able to go to Starbucks, ordering a Chococino or whatever it is, because it makes them feel really grown up and independent that they're in a starbucks so starbucks has actually become one of the hot brands at the moment for kids
0: wow you would never think it would you yeah the baby chinos and the hot chocolates yeah that's exactly what they're loving there wow fascinating (laughs) (laughs) you would not expect that (laughs) (laughs) and um you've also um from from us talking before mentioned that you found it quite interesting in some of the data that was coming through that They'd be talking about politicians, like not just things that you would think would be the hot um, areas, I guess. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So the most named person on Bino in 2018 was Donald Trump. And that he outweighed all of the celebrity, the traditional celebrities and the kids. It's really funny. They're not quite sure if he's a villain or if he's like a pantomime. Villain. They, they really don't quite understand him, it's like the rest of the world. Um, but Boris Johnson then became quite hot topic. Theresa May was mentioned to us a lot, so they really do understand what's going on in the world. Um, they get it wrong sometimes. Uh, our favourite quote, and I won't embarrass the child that actually said it to us, but um, it's just absolutely legendary. But it shows that kids are hearing what's going on in the world. Um, was that they, we were told that Jeremy Corbyn was antiseptic?
0: <laughs> Brilliant! It's just
2: yeah, it's my favourite. Absolutely, I drop that into every conversation I
0: can. I'm sure he loves that too. But got yeah. back to him <laughs> um, when you're talking to kids. You mentioned quite a lot about um, there's obviously a hell of a lot of regulations around data GDPR. So what are the main challenges around that?
1: Well, it's It's really interesting because over the last two years, obviously that kind of area, so GDPR, data privacy and everything that goes around that has become a huge topic across the whole media space. Now, what has been useful from our perspective is that Bino has always worked within that because we have always been talking to kids so therefore the the regulation in that area has been much more much much stricter and much more protecting of kids as it as of course it should be. So we worked as soon as we launched uh, com, we worked within the um, American COPPA which is Children's Online Privacy Protection Act and a lot of what comes out of GDPR is is similar to that. So it means that we have to make sure that we operate in what we call a privacy by design fashion which is essentially everything that we do whether it's creating a new piece of content or a new type of product or a new feature on the website we are always right at the start thinking how do we absolutely ensure there is no no danger of any um, privacy issues for kids so even things like working through on on the site to make sure that accidentally someone couldn't um when commenting on something give give information that they shouldn't be given so making sure that we are looking at every possible thing that, that could happen to make sure that, that, that those kids are um, protected. But what that does mean is it actually works in a really positive way for us because, as I described before, because of all that regulation, there was a bit of a vacuum in terms of there is no data on that de- demographic. There is a bit around the preschool, and there is obviously quite a lot when it comes to post-13. But in that area, there was there was very little um, and because of that, we had to go out there and find it in order to make Bino.com as as, as successful as it is today. But in the process of doing that, what it's meant is that we've been able to find out a lot of um, really useful insight and data for for various other businesses who we've been working with. Um, so yes, it is a challenge working within those uh, those regulations and the kind of the, the strictness of how it all works but it also presents a really really good opportunity and of course it's it's absolutely right that we're thinking in those terms and it's interesting to see that the the rest of the media space are now having to do the sort of things that we've been we've been doing um for the last three years
0: and if you from from obviously the the early days with launching with bino.com have there been any other challenges um obviously data is quite a big one but have there been any other kind of um challenges that you've come up against on on kind of progressing the brand forward.
1: I guess with any any transformation of a of a business that has such a rich heritage as something like the Bino does, so 81 years, there are it's it's making sure that you balance what is great about that brand that you have, have that has grown over those many, many decades, but also trying to ensure that it continues to be really relevant. So it's about how do, you, how do you best combine the best of the old and the best of the new? I think one of the things that is, is really important and, and something that we worked really hard on was making sure everyone has that clear goal that they're trying to go for. What, what is it that we're trying to do here? What does this mean for the kids? What does it mean for us as a business? And making sure everyone, everyone understands the direction of travel that you're going with and can, can clearly see how you're moving in that way.
2: I think there's another point around... The website doesn't really have any of the characters on it. There's a small section that's been Tunes, but actually the rest of it is just fun videos, quizzes, games that the kids can play. So when we were looking at what could we do with the characters, the original thinking was that our TV output would be to create all preschool, and primary school-type TV programmes. So we launched um, Denison National Unleashed, which is a CGI programme, initially on CBBC, uh, now on Netflix. And it's apparently being viewed now in over 100 countries worldwide, it's been sold. So it's done incredibly well. But actually, we have this huge, huge back catalogue of really well-loved characters. Now, in the UK, they're well-loved, but... In the US, no one's heard of them. But actually, in the same way that Marvel have reimagined their back catalogue of characters and created TV programming around it, that's exactly what Bino is doing as well. So all I can say is watch out small screen and big screen in the coming years. Some of your old favourite characters may be coming at you.
0: Because also it's like one of those things where the parents, if if it connects with the parents and the parents will encourage to... Put it on. If it's at cinema, take them. Um, you know, it could be like, oh, have you, well, let's watch this together. Yeah. Um, so it works really well. Yeah, it does. Nearly 50% of the UK population
2: has read The Beano at one stage in their life. So if you think that's half the population knows The Beano, and even if you didn't read The Beano as a child, you probably still recognise Dennis and, you know, Nasho and an awful lot of the other characters in there as
0: well. And you talked a lot about kind of um, bringing, you know, old characters out and, and really it must have involved a hell of a lot of creativity from, from your team to sort of think differently in a digital way and how to bring the old and the new together. So have you needed to hire new kind of specialist teams within, within the company to deal with these kind of new aspects?
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. I think, it, it, again, it comes back to what are kids doing at the moment and what platforms are they on and how are they engaging with with tv content we all i think very very much aware of the change but from an old linear tv world to much more around uh, catch up and youtube so therefore the creativity that you need to to reach all those channels you have to bring in people who really understand how to how to do things on youtube for example or how to do things on instagram or tiktok or whatever it is that where where kids are and it's about making sure that you continue that that creativity across everything everything that you do regardless of the output because it's one thing looking at um something like Dennis and national unleash which is a, a cgi tv episodic uh, series but then how might you do that on uh youtube for some of the older series how can you reimagine something that was maybe first put out there 10 years ago but turn it into something that's still relevant for for today so there's there's a creativity has to run across all of the different things but you also need that real deep understanding of of the platforms that you're working on
0: Mm. and you mentioned previously about um sort of a big change really going from printed to to digital and how that was a bit of a mindset change and within the Bino, like how did you manage that? We speak to a lot of people in this space who um kind of really struggle with getting that internal, everyone having the internal same mindset and that appetite for change. So is there anything that you did that kind of helped alleviate or take everyone on the journey for that change? I, I would say that Bino
2: Studios was launched specifically with that remit in mind. So Every single person was on the journey with us. And I think for a lot of companies, Martin and I have talked about this before, is digital transformation tends to be a separate part, department within a company. So it gets siloed off and then everyone is kind of like, well, I don't do digital. Whereas everyone at Bino Studios is absolutely committed to that transformation.
1: What really helps in that process is showing how things are going and showing success. And for us, there is nothing better than being able to show a child on a screen to the entire business using the things that you are creating. And when, when a child breaks out in a massive smile because they've just played a game on Bino.com or they've seen a clip on, on Dennis and Nassar Unleashed and you see it happening, there is no better way of sort of keeping people going towards that goal because you see that end result. So I think it's really important in any digital transformation just not to talk about where you want to be, but to show everyone within that organisation how you're getting there at all those stages?
0: Yeah, so it's almost like um, right, look guys, here's the evidence. This exactly. is this is what's happening now, this is the impact of all of our work together. And did you ever get a sense of um like fear from the team or nervousness? Because again, it's a big change. Um and was anyone a bit like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but this is a bit risky, or or was everyone really kind of had that kind of forward thinking vision?
1: I think part of what we've looked for is for people to come in already with that excitement and that passion. So a lot of people who work at Bino Studios, they grew up Bino and they really are inspired by the idea of making Bino relevant for every generation now and going forward. So that passion is already there. So I think being able to, to get those sort of people who are already up for that is, is really important.
0: So it's almost like the brand was strong enough To begin with, that it allowed you to to kind of attract great talent and that that passion for the brand already that wanted to kind of take it forward into the next generation, which is a lovely place to be. Um, Really nice.
2: Yeah,
0: it's for me because when I'm out
2: talking to brands, when I ring people up or email them, the goodwill because it's Bino and everyone loves it. It, Everyone remembers it as part of their childhood as being really mischievous, but parents look back on it and obviously think it's an incredibly safe, trusted place for their kids to be. And obviously that's one of the tenets that we live by, whether that's with our digital uh, platform, even the TV programmes, even in the young adult things that we're currently uh, looking at putting together. But it's fun that we can have a little bit of fun at work, and it is mischievous. And you'll hear, you know, around our building, there's lots of laughing going in in amongst, obviously, huge amounts of work.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, in terms of, like, the commercial aspect, because obviously you're, you guys are creating a lot of content, um, and is the kind of the main focus of the business now to help other businesses um, with insights into Gen A, Um, or is it more, are you still a content based business or is it a kind of combination of both? It's a little bit of a combination of
2: both, but the starting point for any conversation with brands is How can we help you engage with your audience? You know, we've been talking to children, engaging them for the last 81 years. We know what makes kids laugh. We know what kids want to read, what they want to watch, what they want to do. We can help your brand do that. And that's been really important. So we've worked with uh, the Football Association recently, uh, and they had an app that they were launching and they wanted to get children to become more involved with football and we went in, it was a competitive pitch, and we said you need to start actually from the point of what do children think about football? It doesn't matter what you think children think about football, let's actually start with the kids themselves. And we went to the pitch and we'd asked kids what they thought about football and why that they might want to play it, and why they might not. And what are their motivations for playing sport in general or, in fact, doing anything Um, Because there's so many demands on their time. So starting from that, understanding that actually kids want to do something if other kids are doing it. And if it gives them an opportunity to play with other children, meet other children, can help with their confidence and their skill levels. So we took that as our starting point for our work with the FA. And then we produced a huge amount. I think we've done over 100 videos for them of children, whether it's beginners, intermediates, or advanced, learning skills that would help them on and off the football pitch. And that's been hugely successful for them.
0: And in terms of, um, obviously, the, the change in technology from when we grew up, um, the introduction of iPads, iPhones, you know, can access anything anywhere. Um, what are your thoughts on on how there is, is a kind of this hyper-connectivity uh, do you feel any negative connotations towards that at all at the BNO?
1: So, one of the things that has been really interesting when we've been going out and talking to this generation and understanding more about Generation Alpha and then the younger Gen, Gen Z, so that that demographic that we were talking about, is they because digital is part of their lives and always has been, they are incredibly savvy and they seem to be almost better equipped than the generations that have gone before them to manage technology and one of the things we talk about a lot is is the boomerang experience and what we mean by that is what we see happening again and again is kids use digital to help them understand and help them master things in their real life so they will come to digital and they will what maybe it's take a quiz or watch a video that helps them do something or in the case that Haley was just talking about learn how to do a football skill then they will go out into the real world and they will do that and they will engage in a in a social manner around that and they will come back to digital to help them master that experience even further so they appear to be from what we've seen so far much better able to navigate the the digital world than, than perhaps others who it was the new shiny thing were able to do and we're seeing that in terms of their understanding of um, what they should and shouldn't put on social media um, what they sh- what they should be aware of with their their data, what they should be aware of in terms of what they click and what they don't click. One of the things that struck me really early on, based on my experience in mainstream media, is the way that kids navigate the internet is entirely different. I think we've probably all experienced that rabbit hole effect where you start your internet experience thinking you're going to do one thing and you end up on YouTube watching videos about elephants in Africa or whatever it might be, Whereas kids are much more in control of that experience, so they tend to have a starting point and they go from there to where they want to go and then they'll come back and then they'll go somewhere else and then they'll come back. So they are very much in control of their digital experience. So I'm really, really positive about how kids are seeming to really understand the opportunity and the positive um, potential with digital whilst seemingly being more in control of where things could go wrong on digital.
0: That's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think from our perception, which is perhaps wrongly, we're told from the media, you know, that, you know, kids aren't playing outside. And this is perception of, um, you know, people being stuck on screens and a link to social media and depression. But actually, what we're seeing from the research that you've got is that actually Gen A and the younger Gen Z are actually able to kind of equip themselves with using digital in a much more advanced way than 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 previous generations are. And it's yeah. not, not as addictive in a sense, it feels. It is. I mean, if you remember that Gen A
2: and the younger Gen Zs, they're the children of millennials. And millennials grew up with this new shiny thing that was the Internet and social media. And let's face it, gave away all of their data, shared all of their inappropriate secrets on social media, not realising how brands would benefit from that. And they're obviously the ones that are saying to their kids, actually, you know, let's be sensible about this. But they're also with their kids, able to say, I do want you to be able to go and play outside. I suppose millennials were the first generation to really grow up around that stranger danger and not being allowed outside. So their kids, they are giving them some of those freedoms back, but in a very safe way. So I think we will see a return to some of the, you know, the old fashioned behaviours that maybe when, you know, I grew up, certainly were there, that, you know, you could go outside and play with your friends. You didn't have to just stay inside and play with this new shiny thing that was a Nintendo. Mm. Because also kids now have so many different demands on their time. Um, They can pick and choose what they want to do.
0: And you were mentioning earlier, Martin, about how the kind of online and sort of offline, this kind of going outside and playing a game and then coming back in, um, how do how do you see that um, strengthening? I guess for the Beanog, do do you have um, sort of when you're thinking about games and things? Are there physical elements to that? Do they you know, do you have you know do this activity online and then go off and make X Y and Z?
1: Yeah, so we do this in a number of ways. Uh, one of the things that we we always see some really interesting take up in is in terms of building things and creating things. There's a real there 's a real entrepreneurship amongst this this generation they love to learn how to do things and then how to to become better at these things as well so you see it across across YouTube actually you see a lot of these um, vloggers who make it their um, their main focus to say well this is how you do do makeup or this is how you build remote control cars or whatever it might be and what we're what we 're able to do is to tap into that and create content that helps kids master whatever it is that they 're interested in and this is this is something that's come across a lot. Is if a kid is genuinely interested in something, they will absorb as much as they possibly can about that thing, so that they can become the best possible. Whether that is Minecraft, or whether that is making slime, or whether that is knowing everything about a Harry Potter, it, it doesn't matter what it is that it is. The fact that they are so so deeply interested in it means that they will continue to try and learn. Um, we talk a lot about the need states of kids that we've identified. I think there's nine that we've we've seen come again and again and again, and one of those is mastery, and helping kids to master whatever matters to them. I think is is, is something that we try and do wherever possible.
0: Great, and. When you describe that, it it sort of I got a flash of Blue Peter, um, turbocharged. You know that bit where they said, "Oh, get your egg boxes and 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 glue ready, and here's how you make it." It almost felt like that, but that you were allowing the opportunity for them to choose, not just have to make that thing. You could make all of these things and it's still very creative and hands-on but it felt like a sort of um bit of a blast from the past for me when you were discussing that
1: well, i think what we've seen is is kids these kids today are incredibly creative now that creativity comes across in all sorts of different ways whether it's creativity in coding or creativity in animation or creativity in the sort of the, the more traditional craft building or creativity in in terms of how they're learning how to be best at the online games that they're interested in there's a there's a huge interest in things like becoming a YouTube entrepreneur or becoming an esports expert. So kids are seeing that as an opportunity to become better at whatever it is that they're doing and, and master that talent that they might have, which is, you know, is, is to be absolutely um, uh, encouraged.
0: And I know that kind of commercial businesses have, have kind of come to you, you mentioned the FA to, to get your advice, um, which is obviously very, very valuable. Has the government ever come forward to ask your insights and input on what's happening, you know, within school education, for example? Well, we've launched, we have actually a Beano for
2: Schools website, which is we've taken, again, we spoke to the kids and we said, what are the lessons that, you know, you think could be livened up slightly? What do you, dislike the most I guess and we talked to teachers and asked them the same kind of questions and SPAG spelling punctuation and grammar came up as being some of the things that the kids struggled with and the teachers struggled with Um, so we created a whole load of free to download lesson plans for primary school teachers that uses all of the be no fun and actually it's all around joke telling so we've created that for ourselves Um, we are talking to government bodies as well at the moment. Um, we have had conversations in the past with Public Health England about childhood obesity. Um, it's a very serious topic, obviously, um, but it's something can we help um, to talk to children. Um, we work a lot with Young Minds, which is a charity for children with mental health problems. Um, So we've created content that we know kids want to engage with that helps them learn those life lessons, but in a way it doesn't feel like that we're dictating to them. Um, And we're also talking to DEFRA at the moment um, about sustainability and anti-littering.
0: And I guess just to kind of wrap up, From you just mentioning that, I feel like there's lots you've got planned for the future. So this question might (laughs) feel a bit um, contrite. But uh, what does the future look like for the Vino? As you said, there are so many things
2: that we're planning at the moment. Um, I'm currently working on a new scheme, which when we look at that over nearly 80% of all adults in the UK recognize Bino, and about 78% say it's a trusted place for their kids to be and kids have got a really high level of awareness of the Bino as well you kind of think what can we do that would help leverage you know that trust and awareness so we're looking to launch an accreditation scheme for products who want to have their products actually tested by kids and that maybe their parents too um, so there's that uh, we're looking potentially at some events So creating, probably initially I'm looking at education. So in a way, it's education, but fun. So it won't just be, we don't do anything that's boring.
0: I can't imagine you ever would. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if there is a business out there, I mean, your story has been fascinating. I think going from being, you know, really embedded as a um, magazine for children And really transforming that to being, you know, almost advising the world on on this particular sector uh, of kind of children. Is there anyone who kind of any any advice you would give to businesses who perhaps right at that beginning where you were a few years ago, where you sort of had this magazine and it was a bit like numbers are declining, knowing you needed to do something? What what was the kind of top bit of sort of advice you would say to them? I would say consider your
2: audience first and foremost. Don't necessarily think what you should do or what the media is telling you to do. It's your consumers, your audience, what are they asking for? And actually go to market and find that out and build it from there. But as Martin was saying earlier, it's all about getting everyone on board in the company, making it so that it's not just one department, that it's the entire company are absolutely focused
1: on this. And I think the only thing I'd add to that is, is you start with insight you make sure that's the place where you begin that understanding of what matters. As Hayley says, don't think what you think is right. Go out and test that and make sure that that, that is actually what, what the audience wants, what your customer wants, what your consumer wants. But also I would, I'd say make sure you then keep that as a thread that goes through that entire digital transformation. Don't just do an insight piece and then carry on with the, the day job Make sure that is baked in so that you're having that continual feedback with the people that you are trying to reach or trying to engage with so that you can have those check-in moments and you can say, okay, we've, we've missed a bit there. We need to rethink that or we are on course and we are doing what we wanted to do and here's some evidence of how we are, how we're doing that so that everyone can, can get on board and see that, that, that journey as it happens.
0: And my very last question, which we always end on, which is a bit of a comedy one, <laughs> I'll ask you both separately, um, was if you got stranded in Slough for four hours and you had no phone, what would you do? I'd
2: get straight to the train station and see if I could get myself back home.
0: <laughs> there were no trains.
2: Oh, you were, like, literally I am the really stuck, was... that, stuck in Slough. Oh, um, I would probably hope it was a sunny day and I could go and just sit in a park and just enjoy the sunshine. Fair can I have a
0: book? You can have a book. If it was a book, what would it be? That's a good question.
2: The best novel. I just think something that just takes me away completely from my daily life. So I've just finished um, Testaments, Margaret uh-huh. Atwood, and I do recommend it. It's brilliant. Anyway. There you go. Martin's
1: <laughs> going to have something much funnier than that. I've had a bit of time to think about it. <laughs> want, um, <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm in Slough. That's actually an area that I know quite well. And I also know that it, it's not actually that far to get to Windsor from Slough. So I'm going to go to Windsor and I'm going to go to Legoland and I'm going to spend my three and a half hours or whatever I've got left after I get there We'll go around Legoland because I think that uh, definitely fits it fits the brief when it comes to working at Bino.
0: I want to go to Legoland now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you both for joining me. It's been really insightful and fantastic to learn about your stories. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
1: Thank you.